Alright, well thank you for being here, group. You guys look wonderful. It's a first night. Goodness. We're going to start off with some honesty tonight, maybe a little bit of confession. How many of you would say you walked in here tonight and you got some problems in your life? Go ahead and raise your hand. <laughs> that went a little better than I expected. I thought I was going to have to draw that out of y'all, but y'all are just ready. <laughs> Here's another way I would say this, is if you have some problems, you could probably say, you know, I am a person who is in process. I am a person who is in process, and I certainly have some, some problems in my life. Maybe you even rode over here with somebody, and you were thinking the whole time, and you really, you, you do have some problems. I'm glad that I'm bringing you to this group. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be real with you. One of the ways you find out how in process a person is or how many problems a person is, there's one way I can give you is foolproof, and that's you go on a long road trip with somebody. Anybody ever gone on a long road trip with somebody? You really get to know them. You leave your best friends. You come back. It's the devil. You just don't even know what happened in between. Well, this past summer, this past summer I traveled to London with a friend, he who not be named in this service, and uh, me and this friend were traveling. And uh, we spent about eight days together and we got there and I just remember specifically one of our days, we were coming back to this hostel we were staying in. Little did we know that the hostel we were staying in turned into a rave at night. And so this was the room, my room is right above the rave. And so, you know, we get back to our room and I'm thinking, hey man, you know, I gotta like, I gotta pray fast, I gotta worship, I gotta do those things. And he's like, you know, I'm gonna go to the rave. and so. I was like, uh, uh, yeah, all right, bro. Well, I was thinking, you know, it's Saturday night, something, and hey, man, you know, we got we to gotta figure this out, though. We got to go to church tomorrow. So we need to, we need to get our stuff together, got to go to church. And, and so we need to talk about this. And we wanted to go to Hillsong. And so Hillsong in London, there's like a million campuses. So I'm trying to figure out where these campuses are, what time they start, and all these kind of things. But he's like, yeah, that's cool. So I'm going to go hit this rave. And I was like, all right, well, I'm in the bed trying to figure out where Hillsong is. And uh, so we leave the next day. We get on the tube. And when we get on this tube, we get off this tube. And there we find ourselves. And there are no hills. And th there's certainly no songs. Where we landed <laughs> was straight up desolate. And I'm looking around like... Where there is not one person around, and I was like, Where the hell song are we? You know, I was like, Uh, that's a little too far, I know. So, <laughs> boo, feel free to boo me, by the way. Nobody has ever been booed in more sermons than me. So, we got into a little discussion that was uh, very emotional in the moment, very heated. And uh, what was, we had this phrase on our trip, we'll figure it out. And my friend, you know, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. I figured out that meant you'll figure it out. And then when, when I realized you didn't figure it out, I'm gonna let you know you didn't figure it out. And then we're gonna readjust. So we didn't go to the desolate hill song. We got back on the tube, went to the real fancy one in the theater where all the songs were and all the hills. And uh, so anyways, we realized very quickly we were two people who were very much in process. We were two people that very much have problems in our life. And maybe for you, you walk into group, you walk into this environment, this is a new environment for you. 
Maybe you've never read the Bible in your life and you think, you know what, church people, those are people who were put together. But what if I was to tell you that we are people in process? We are people with problems. Maybe you think the guy up here with the mic is so put together. What if I told you that I very much am in process? That sometimes I'm actually so afraid of how in process I am that I struggle with so many things. Fear, anxiety, indecisiveness, doubt, insecurity, you name it. I'm in process. You know, as a group, we are people who are, we're broken. We're, we have skeptics. We got questions. We're wrestling. We're fighting sin. Some of us are just simply giving in to sin. We're hurting. We're people in process. And this isn't a scapegoat for tonight and the calling that Jesus has on our life, but I'm excited to introduce to you a people that are very much in process. The Corinthians that we're going to study for the next 14 or 15 weeks are a people with some serious problems. And yet in that, I think that there is, is, is so much joy to find that we aren't alone in this and that you aren't alone in this and that we're welcoming you into a community in process for you to allow us to walk this journey with you. And I can't wait to introduce you to this community of people in process. But here's what I want you to know. That even tonight, before we dig into the text, as we dig into the text over the next 13 or 14 weeks, is that before the Word of God just exposes you on all the problems you have in your life, here's what God wants to do tonight. Before He exposes your problems, He wants to reveal your position. Before God exposes your process and you are crushed under the weight of it, God wants to reveal your position. And that's what we're going to start with tonight. And if you can, just open your Bible again. And I want us to read the first few verses in 1 Corinthians. The message, this title uh, of our message is Position, Then Process. Position, Then Process. Everybody say position. position. Say position. position. Position, then process. Look at verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. If you have a pen, underline the word saints there. That is the title of our series. With all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, in order for us to really appreciate what Paul has to say to the Corinthians in this first part of our text, we need to know some background about this church. We need to know some background about this city. 
Now our man Paul who writes this letter, it says in the book of Acts chapter 18, he meanders into Corinth. He's coming from Athens. And when he shows up in Corinth, he starts to preach the gospel to these Jews. And it says that the Jews reject him in the synagogue as he's preaching the gospel, the message of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And they kick him out of the synagogue and it says he goes right next door to this dude's house named Titius Justice. Don't know why that's his name, it just is his name. And so he knocks on the door and this, my boy Titius is, uh, I don't even know if that's how he says his name, but we're going with it. Is, uh, is a Gentile. That means he's a non-Jew. You're all Gentiles, by the way. And so he walks in his house. He starts preaching this gospel message. Now, the thing you need to know about Corinth is it's a pretty, it's a unique city. Corinth is this port city here where in many ways, Corinth is like the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. This is Sin City. Sin City is where it goes on. And so Paul walks into this city that has so much diversity culturally, but also in religion. There are so many pagan gods and idols. It is said in history that 150 years before Paul rolls into this city, there was the temple of Aphrodite. And this temple was located about 2,000 feet up in kind of the central part of the city so everyone could see it. And at this temple, there was about 1,000 priestesses. And that's a, a nicer way to say prostitute. There are 1,000 prostitutes rolling around this temple and they would come down into the city for guys who would come to trade or conduct in business. And so this was a very lewd city. It was a very immoral city. It was so much so that the word Corinthian was a substitute for somebody who was extremely immoral. It might be like you're rolling around and you're like, yo, that girl, you seen that girl? Yo, that girl's a Corinthian. Like that girl... Or that, let's just go with guy. I shouldn't say girl. That guy is a Corinthian, okay? Like it's, this was a term that, that essentially communicated this, that these people are so immoral. And so this is the city that Paul is wandering into. There's so much religion. There's so many pagan gods. And he's bringing this message of Jesus into this community of diversity and immorality. And he plants this church in Corinth. And it's, it's to be said that more than likely it was about 100 believers that are formed and respond to the gospel of Jesus in this community. And so Paul, for 18 months, preaches the gospel in this city. And then he decides it's time to move on and he heads to a city of Ephesus. So while Paul is in Ephesus, what happens is he receives a letter from the church of Corinth the hundred of members, and he starts to realize these guys are having some serious problems. After that, he then receives a few messengers in person who come to him and report these same problems to him. And so what Paul is doing in this letter is he is writing to address the problems that are happening in the Corinthian church. Problems like this, division. There's tons of division in the church. And you would say, no, never, right? Never. Never in the church, right? I mean, this is the church. Division. There are tons of sexually immoral problems. 
Immorality is running rampant. Dudes are sleeping with their mother-in-laws. Things are, things are serious. Now, remember, there's only a, about 100 people. So you know everything that's happening with the person next to so you. Like, bro, does he have his arm around his mom right now? What is he doing? We need to write to Paul. There is food in idolatry problems. There is service problems just in their church services. Crazy things are happening in their services. And then lastly, there are doctrine problems. There are theological issues that are happening in this church. And so Paul hears of these problems. Paul receives letters about these problems. Paul receives messengers that are telling him about these problems. And with that framework... With, with that understanding of all the issues that are happening in this community, Paul writes this letter. And to me, that's what's so mind-blowing about how he starts. Look at what he says. He says, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He begins with these two words, that you're sanctified and you are saints. These come from the same Greek root word. It's hagiazo and hagios. And here's what this means. The word sanctified means made holy. And the word saint means holy. And so Paul writes to them. And here's what he's saying. One communicates your process. That you're being made holy. And one communicates your position. That you are holy. In the midst of all of their problems, in the midst of their horrible process of life that he is riding into, Paul is reminding them of their position. One says you have problems, and yet Paul is writing to them about their position. He reminds them of their position in Christ. It's always position and then process. He says, hey guys, remember, you're a saint. What does it mean to be a saint? What is Paul reminding them of? And I wrote a few of these up here, a status of the saints. Number one, he reminds them this, and you need to be reminded tonight. If you're a follower of Jesus, that this status of saint was received, not achieved. It was received, not achieved. Paul writes that they were, he was called by the will of God to the church in Corinth that was called to be saints together. He uses this terminology over and over that you were chose, that you were called, that this was received, not achieved. To be a saint, you were, you were purchased in Christ. You were given this position. You did not earn it. The cross of Christ purchased your position. Now, Paul writes to these Corinthians because they are extremely boastful. They're an extremely arrogant community. They are huge one-uppers. And Paul is reminding them, by the way, you're a saint. And this status, this position you have, you received, you did not achieve. The second thing is this, to be a saint is this, it means to be set apart. The word holy means to be set apart. And here's what that means to the Corinthians, that, that God has set you apart for a standard of living in morality that is radically different from the world around you. And the problem with the Corinthians is that they're not set apart at all. Everything they're doing is still in alignment with everyone around them. But Paul's reminding them, no, you're a saint. And to be a saint means to be set apart. One of God's defining characteristics is that God is holy. 
It means he's completely set apart. He's completely other than. There is no sin in God. He takes no part in it. He is completely light. And even in us who are saints, we recognize there's an element of darkness that we're dealing with. But God is holy, and to be a saint is to be like him. And he said, you're completely set apart. And this was a huge issue for the Corinthians because their behavior was not in alignment with who God was saying they are as a believer. He says, you are set apart to live a different life. And I think this is where we could relate with the Corinthians, right? In American Christianity. And so much of it is just a cultural, social thing. But would the people in our lives, would our neighbors, by watching our lives, be able to see that they think we're set apart? Is there anything about our lives that's so drastically different that they could look and say, yo, I don't know about that dude next door, but that guy's a saint. He is set apart. There's something drastically different between me and him. And that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. And the third thing is this and what he says. Look what he says right after saints. Called to be saints together. And here's to be a saint is to be called into community. This word saint in the New Testament is always used in the plural. Always plural. There's only one time in Philippians chapter 4 that it's used in the singular, but it's actually in a plural context. So it is always a plural term. And here's what that means. That God is calling you into a community. That, that, that word saint to be holy, to pursue holiness, requires wholeness. To be a holy community requires a whole community. And here's what that means. We say it like this at ACC. We are better together. You have a personal relationship with Jesus, but it is not private. God calls you a saint, which means you've been saved into a family. And if we're going to pursue holiness, we also have to pursue wholeness. So you are the saints, as we see the Corinthians have tons of issues with divisiveness, with disunity. And he's letting them know really quick up front, hey, you are the saints, plural. I say it like this, people in process need people in the process. People in process need people in the process. So Paul, even knowing where they are with what they're struggling with, he wants to remind them who they are. With all of their problems, God wants you to remember your position first. It's position, then process. You know how this goes. Anybody ever had a roommate? Anybody got roommates right now? Raise your hand. You got roommates? You know how this goes. I got a couple in here. Let's say you got some issues, right? Dishes. Everybody knows how this goes. Dishes is a problem. Now, let's say you're approaching your roommate about dishes, the said problem. So you go, you know, you're rolling up to your roommate, you're like, hey, bro, you suck at the dishes. Anybody do that? How's that working for you? No, this is not what we do. Let me show you how this works. Hey, bro. You know I love you, right? <laughs> right? Well, let's talk about the dishes. Now, that seems subtle. But here's what I did. 
before I address a problem, I revealed his position. Think about this. It's humorous, but this is real. You always do this in your relationships. You always secure a person's position before you ever reveal their process. Your father calls you and says, Ryan, we need to talk. For whatever issues I'm in, for whatever problems I've created, you know what he's just done? He's revealed my position before my problem. Ryan is my name that he, give, he gave me. That's my sonship. That's my identity. God is always going to reveal that you are a son before he calls out your sin. He's going to reveal your position and then your process. Jesus, when teaching the disciples how to pray, even did this. He said, here's how you begin all your prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You are calling on God's position first, and then what do you say? Give me this day, my daily bread. I need some food, God. I got problems. Oh, forgive me of my trespasses, by the way. I got problems. I need you to forgive me. Oh, and lead me not to temptation because I got a lot of problems coming my way. But you always remember your Father's position then you talk about your problems. So God is revealing your position, then your process. He's calling you a son, then calling out your sin. It's position and then the process. And I love how Paul reminds these Corinthians who are struggling with so many things and have such a messy church. Hey, even before I get to those things, Paul is saying, hey, I just, you know I love you, right? You know I love you. And we're about to get to it in verse 10. He's saying, but we need to talk. He's going to say your position, then your problem. Look how he continues. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. Even though you are not living in accordance with your position, listen, God will complete your process. He will present you guiltless. Are you currently guiltless? No. But he will present you guiltless because he's going to bring your process into alignment with your position. God is faithful. Are you currently being faithful? No. But God is faithful, and your relationship with him is dependent upon his faithfulness, not your faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 says he is faithful even when we are faithless, for he cannot deny himself. What is himself? Faithful. He reveals your position and then your problem. So even with all the problems you walked in here tonight with, with group and you think, man, you know, what am I going to do? It's so heavy. God wants you to remember your position. And why is this important? Why is knowing your position in Christ so important? And I want to leave you with two things tonight. The first is this. You need to know your position so you are not crushed in the process. You need to know your position in Christ so you are not crushed in the process. And here's what I mean. If you do not know how God sees you, how when he sees you, he sees you as a son or a daughter who is already justified in his sight. If you don't know that, there are two things that will happen. Number one, you will either flee from him or you will be flattened in the process. You will flee or you will be flattened. Number one, you, you've seen it nowadays. There's tons of Christians who are posting on social media about their leaving the faith, right? And many of us can relate to that in so many ways, but we would not say it. 
And here's why. Because the process of trying to pursue holiness without understanding that God is saying we are holy already, we, we can't handle the weight of it anymore. So we simply run away from it and run back to everything we've already known. And we leave this life of pursuing Jesus and the calling he has for us. Or two, we're flattened underneath the weight of it. Jesus spoke to a people who were feeling this same tension, and he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're feeling like you're about to get flattened, but I'm telling you, you need to know your position in me. See, never flip the formula. Never flip the formula. Never pursue process without knowing your position in Christ. This is what religion does. Religion is all about man's effort towards God. The gospel is all about God coming to man to make you right with him because you couldn't do it on your own. Don't flip the formula. God is saying who I am, even where I am. So you need to know your position so you're not crushed in the process. And secondly, this, you need to know your position to align your process. You need to know your position in Christ and who he says you are to align your process. And I think this is what the whole Corinthian letter is all about, is that God is trying, or excuse me, Paul is trying to allow the Corinthians to see that, that all of their issues and all of their problems, they need to realign them with the gospel. That God is calling you higher. He's calling you to live holy. He's calling you to be set apart. He's calling you to be the salt and light. So you need to know your position so you can align your process. I'm going to try this out. So here's an illustration to help everybody understand this. What is this called, guys? Thank you. Thank you so much. Is this mic one? Check one, two. All right, what song y'all want to hear? Just kidding. So, a keyboard, these keys are programmed so they never change. The tuning of a keyboard never changes. Its position is programmed. So when I say, you know what, I need to hear an E. always the same. But a guitar changes <laughs> a lot. A lot of this stuff, bro. I'm just struggling. So if I don't know my position in Christ, I can't align process. Let's try this one. You got some division problems, guys. Hold up, hold up, hold up. So what Paul is doing with the Corinthians is he's allowing them to see their position in Christ so that they can bring their life in alignment with the gospel. They can bring their life 
in alignment with who God is saying they are. And if you don't know your position, you can never align your process. Does that make sense? All right. Thank you. So you need to remember your position in Christ. And the secondly is that there are people in here who need to receive their position in Christ. Maybe you've come in here and you've never heard the gospel of Jesus and who he says you are. Or your whole life you've been striving and working to try to receive something or to achieve something that God wants you to receive. And so you need to receive your position in Christ. John, he says it like this, John 1.12. He says, for those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He said, you believed, you received, and you became his saints. For those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, his saints. And you can do that tonight. Romans says it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And God will put you in the position where you are now his saint. And so tonight, as we're going to break to our small groups, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Think about where you are. Are you needing to remember your position, or do you need to receive Christ tonight? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. God, I thank you for every person in this place, for wherever we are, for wherever, whatever we've come with tonight, Lord Jesus. I know that you have a plan for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you say who we are, even where we are. God, I thank you that you declare our position as in Christ, our position as a saint, our position as sanctified even when it seems like our process is struggling, even when it seems like we have so many problems. And God, we know that through this semester, through this text, you're calling us higher. You're calling us, Lord, to walk in alignment with the position that you've given us in Jesus. Not because we achieved it, but because we received it. And God, I just pray for the grace in here for those of us who feel the weight of this, that we wouldn't flee, God, would you give us the grace to not run away from the call you have on our life? Lord, would you give us the grace to not be flattened by this because we're trying in our own strength and pursuing a position that you want to freely give to us? And so, God, I just pray for any heart here tonight, Lord, that needs to receive you as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would draw them in tonight and show them, more, Lord, that you've wanted this all along, that you desire a relationship with them. God, I thank you for that. I pray for our small groups. I pray for every conversation that's had. I pray it's fruitful. God, I pray you bless it. I pray that you would just fill this place with your presence, God, and that we would all sense that and not want to leave, that you would do a supernatural work here tonight through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.